Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Cool deal. What's going on, City Walk? How we doing? That's what's up. I'm doing well, too. It's awesome. It's awesome. If you don't know me, my name is Matt Lynch, and I am part of the City Students, part of our high school ministry. So clap it up for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I'm up here nervous as a champ, so I can only imagine being 15, 16 years old, singing and leading worship in front of a whole group of people. So shout out to them. Uh, they also lead worship every Wednesday night that we're together as a youth group. So uh, just big ups to them and what they're doing and stepping out and having courage uh, to use the gift that God has given them. Uh, so just big ups to them. Um, Julia, Ella, they're coming in right now. But anyways, so I told you guys I, I work with students here uh, as a high school part of the high school team. I also teach at Yuba City High School, and I'm pretty much around teenagers like 24-7, all day, every day. That's what my life looks like, right? And I'm looking out right now, some of you guys immediately just started praying for me. You're like, bless his soul, God, because I ain't the one. I can't do that, right? And I appreciate those prayers, for real. But truth is, I actually, I really love it, man. Like, the high school years have so much to do with molding and shaping who we become, that to me, it's really important that we're intentional with engaging with that age group and really spending time with them and really caring for them properly because there's just so much shaping, so much influence that takes place in that time in their life. Um, now, when I was in high school, I was a wreck. I was a mess, okay? Now, we're not going to go all into detail about my life and my track record that hits the ground and rolls all the way back there, okay? But truth was, I was a mess. Um, here's a picture of me in high school, I'll let you guys see. What you laughing for? What's funny? I ain't even saying nothing yet. Nah, so here's, here's the truth. This picture has no relevance in today's sermon. I actually just wanted to share my outfit. This is one of my favorite outfits back in the day, okay? You can't see it, but the do-rag, the do-rag is hanging. I got the red hat, and down here, I had the Jamaican uh, Timberlands that actually matched the same shirt. I thought I was fresh, okay? I just want to share that with you guys. Okay, so all the teenagers that say that you always see me in sweats, I have no swag, I, can't, I ain't got no drip, the drip was left in 2007. Okay, that's what happened. All right, but um, for real though, all those years in high school, man, of me like making mistakes and, um, you know, just living wild, I remember people trying to challenge me all the time. I remember hearing people say stuff like, man, you're the preacher's kid, but you're living like the devil. And... You know, there might have been some truth to that, right? But the truth is, is in those moments where people were challenging me, in those moments where people were saying, hey, your life doesn't line up and all this stuff, uh, I, I don't think that those moments were the moments that bore the most fruit in my life. Hope you're tracking with me, right? I remember people saying things like, oh, man, uh, your, your life doesn't line up, and I don't know if you're saved. And the truth was, I was really deceived when I was in high school. I was that dude that thought literally, okay, 
when enough guilt builds up into my heart, I'll just ask for forgiveness and I'll show up to church and everything's gravy, right? I had no intentions whatsoever to change any part of my lifestyle, and I was just really deceived. I was like, I'm going to do what I want to do if I feel bad. God, you got me? All right, let's move it on, right? But no urgency to change my lifestyle, to line up with the scriptures or anything. But when people were coming at me and saying, hey, you're not living right. Hey, you're not going to heaven. Hey, those never bore fruit. The seeds that bore fruit in my life were a time when I met this guy named Pastor Doug, who many of you probably know. But I was in high school, and he was a youth pastor in our area. And when he met me, he didn't come at me with a, a sign of all my sins and tried to call me out. Right? He came at, came at me, and all he saw was a kid who was obviously lost, obviously deceived, and he just wanted to engage in relationship with me. No agenda. He just wanted to care for me. He would invite me out to play basketball all the time. He was inviting me on trips to go see the Dodgers play. He was inviting me to breakfast all the time. But he was always finding ways where he can care for me and where he can be engaged into my life. And he loved me well, right? And because of that, over time, things actually developed into a trustworthy relationship, right? And so some of us, you're like, oh, yeah, I had someone like that in my life. Yeah, I remember those moments. But then a couple of you are like, bro, I wish I had somebody who loved me like that. I wish I had somebody who would just walk with me in the midst of my mess and love on me unconditionally in the midst of my mess, right? Because I know some of us, and then, you know, you can raise your hand if you want to, but I know some of you, you might be a teenager here right now going through this, or you might grow up in a household where you had to be like the angel child, right? There was just no room for error, right? As soon as you messed up, it was like you heard it for the next week, the next month, the next 365 days, but there's just no room for error, right? And you had to be on your P's and Q's 24-7. That was how some of us grew up, right? Or maybe some of us, You've been on a basketball team, a football team, or some kind of sports team, and you had a coach that was so tough as nails that if you messed up just a little bit, pull him out. Pull him out. We ain't got time for those. No mistakes, no errors. Pull him out. And it's like, dang, man. So then every time you were in the game, you were like nervous to try to make a big play because you're like, oh, if I mess up, I'm just going to ride the bench. So then you were kind of paralyzed and stifled with how you played the game that you love playing. And some of us have bosses like that. Right? There's no room for error on the job. You have this great idea that you think is going to help the business, help everything up in production, but you know that your boss is like, do things my way, my way or the highway. And if you step out of line, there's just no room for grace and mercy. And please, definitely don't point your fingers on this next one. And don't raise your hands. But some of us, we can relate to this. Some of us have family members. Uh, some of us have uh, friends in our life that somewhere along their journey, they have forgotten what God's grace and mercy is like. And so when you're going through things and you're challenged and times just aren't the best for you, you're struggling, your family's struggling, your kids are struggling, they're acting like boo-boo to fool at school, and you don't know what to do, and you can't even really go to that friend because all they're going to do is just judge and criticize. And so you're just like, man, either you're going to hold it in or you're just going to find someone else to talk to. Right? But I think we all can kind of relate to some of those experiences of being cared for well or being not cared for well. Right? 
And so I want to share something that I think we can all agree with, something I think will be a staple for us moving forward, that if, if we want to love and care for people the way that Jesus did, we must lead with love. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If we're going to care for people like Jesus, we must lead with love. Now, when we look in the scriptures, guys, we can see time and time again where Jesus actually gave this example, right? And I love it. Uh, some of us were here a couple weeks ago, and uh, Pastor Chris touched on the story of Zacchaeus. If you don't know the story of Zacchaeus, I'm just going to give you a real quick snapshot. So there's a story where Jesus is kind of just coming down the street, and people are excited to see him. Like, hey, it's Jesus, right? Like, oh, let me see him. And Zacchaeus climbs up into this tree and is trying to get a good look at Jesus, right? And Jesus sees him up in the tree, and he's like, hey, Zacchaeus, like, hey, man, I must have dinner at your house tonight, right? Jesus sees his, like, his uh, urgency to get a look at him. He sees his urgency to want to see, hey, this is the guy Jesus that everybody's talking about. And Jesus is like, hey, man, let, let me have some dinner at your house tonight. And the crowd, if you guys don't know the story, Zacchaeus was like number one trader in the town. He was a tax collector that stole from the people, pocketed some money, got his wealth from being a liar, right? And so the people are looking like, you want to have dinner where? Bro, what? Did he just say he wants to have dinner at Zacchaeus' house? And they know Zacchaeus' track record. And so Zacchaeus is like, oh, bet. Dinner at my house. Let's make it happen. Right? What an opportunity. But let's look at this if Jesus would have pursued this situation differently. What if Zacchaeus climbed that tree and Jesus is like, oh, bro, that's the slimy tax collector right there. Hey, man, you ain't honoring God with your life. You lying. You cheating. You stealing money. Hey, bro, you trying to go to dinner? What's up? Can we go eat somewhere? Like, Zacchaeus ain't going to be like, oh, yeah, absolutely, Jesus. Like, yeah, come, come to my house. Come to my house. I would love to have you over. Right? But the fact that Jesus saw his earnestness to want to see him first and then invite him, it created a different scenario. All right? What about this other one? Some of us are familiar with uh, John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, right? the Samaritan woman. Great example of Jesus just caring for people. So we have this situation where Jesus is at the well and this woman walks up. And if you don't know Bible history, it's okay. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. But basically the Samaritans were like, eh, with the Jews, right? Their history went deep. They did not respect each other, didn't like each other. And they weren't in the same tax bracket. They didn't live on the same side of the railroad tracks, right? And so for Jews, it was like, uh, 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 we up here. Samaritans, eh, eh, eh. Right? And so when this woman walks up, the very fact that Jesus engaged in a conversation with her blew her mind. She was like, whoa, how is it that you're talking to me when I'm a Samaritan woman and, and you're a Jew? Right? But for Jesus, what he sees is an opportunity, opportunity to engage, an opportunity to care, an opportunity to offer someone something. Right? So he breaks all kinds of social norms. What is he doing talking to a Samaritan? What is he doing engaging in conversation with a woman? What is he doing breaking all these social norms? Right? And metaphorically, Jesus offers her salvation by saying, hey, I have living water for you. Basically saying, I have something for you that will never end, this relationship with Jesus. 
And then she goes, whoa, you're offering me something like that? And then they engage in even more relationship with eventually ends up to her having salvation and then sharing the good news with the people in her village, right? But what if Jesus walked up to that situation a little different, okay? What if he was like, oh, here come the girl that's been sleeping around. Here come the girl that's on her fifth marriage, right? Because that was the story of her. People in the town knew. Man, this girl is on her fifth marriage. What if Jesus would have went up to her and be like, girl, what are you doing? You're on your fifth marriage? Do you know what the Bible says about divorce? Do you, what, what are you doing? Why are you going from man to man to man to man? Like, what if Jesus would have approached the situation like that? What if he would have been finger-pointing first, sin-casting first? I doubt that woman would have wanted to hear anything that Jesus had to say. Right? She probably would have been like, whoa, bruh, cause, pause. I mean, why, who are you calling me out like this? What's going on? Right? But instead, Jesus engaged in conversation, met with her, talked with her. Right? And then when the moment of opportunity opened up, he seized the moment. Right? But in all these examples in the Bible where Jesus shares and illustrates how we are to care for people, my favorite one is found in John chapter 8. Uh, So if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 8. It'll also be on the screen. But this is one of my favorite examples that Jesus gave us. So while you're turning, it'll be on the screen. Uh, Let's just bow our heads and pray real quick before we get into this text. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for sending your son Jesus, uh, not just to die for our sins, which is a big deal, but, man, to be an example for us broken and lost people on how to live, how to love, and how to be light. I pray, Jesus, that in this moment as we go through your text and as we dive in to what I believe you want us to know and hear and learn as a gathering, that you move upon our hearts, God, that you help us to grow in our relationship with you and be all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So again, this is another familiar text. Some of you guys might uh, be familiar with this, maybe not. But in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11, let's read. It says, But Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Right? So he's at the temple. All kinds of people are coming in. Oh, man, let's Jesus, man, let's here, let's sit down. So, you know, we got a couple, what, 70, maybe 100 people in here. Imagine like 200, 300, 400 people just gather, man. Oh, this is Jesus, this is Jesus. Let's sit down. Let's, let's hear what he has to say. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to, to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. What a, what a response, right? Jesus, what should we do? Shoot. We supposed to draw pictures, Jesus? What, what does that mean? What? Right? He just stooped down and starts drawing. And when they persisted with questioning him, he stood up and he said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first one to throw a stone at her. 
And then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Well, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go on, and from now on, do not sin anymore. So we have three groups of people in this text, right? We got the religious leaders of that time, the Pharisees, right? We have the sinner, the woman who's caught in adultery, and then we have Jesus, right? The religious leaders, look what she did. Look at her life. She was caught in adultery. We should stone her. Ah. Right? And then we have the girl, the woman caught in the middle, probably standing like this, right? Most likely covering up. Probably a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, probably wearing just the weight of the world on her shoulders and possibly thinking that, hey, this could be my last moment. This could be it for me. They're talking about stoning me to death. And then we got Jesus. Oh, what's up? What we got going on? What's up? Oh, yeah, you without, you without sin, you go ahead and you throw the first stone. And then they start leaving. One by one and one by one. Now, what's crazy is what's going on here is the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus by testing his allegiance to the law of Moses versus his care for other people, right? They wanted to see, well, if you really have loyalty to this law, you should stone her. But if you really love people, how are you going to stone her? Hmm, right? And they're trying to trap him. But what's crazy is uh, even in the midst of this, you know, Jesus is sitting there and he's kind of just chilling. And he gave us another example of what it looks like to care for people, right? Because what he did was, now this behavior was not like negotiable behavior. It wasn't like she was caught going like 35 and a 20, right, in Yuba City. It wasn't nothing like that. Like this was a pretty big deal, right? But instead of Jesus throwing more shame and more guilt on what she already felt, he cared for her. And he said, you know what, guys? If you ain't got no sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? Right? But again, he never said what she did wasn't wrong. Right? He didn't all of a sudden abandon the beliefs of the Bible. He didn't all of a sudden just abandon the standard of living that God asked for us. But what he did was he decided to lead with love by reminding people none of us can serve as judge because we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. So none of us can serve as judge. And I can only imagine, man, with, with all this taking place and because Jesus decided to lead with love in this moment, I'm willing to bet that his next words to this woman probably really hit different. Like, let, let's, let's just imagine it one more time. Let's run it back. You got this woman here, right? And she has, she obviously knows that she's wrong. Right? And sometimes we've been there. We know we're wrong. And we're not looking for someone to be like, rah, rah. Right? She knows she's wrong. She's sitting there hurt, broken, publicly humiliated. 
200, 300, 400 people at the synagogue. She's in the middle. Jesus, she was caught doing this. What are you going to do about it? Right? And she's sitting there. And she's probably thinking, yo, this could be the end for me. Right? And instead of Jesus, like I said, throwing another layer of guilt and shame on her, he simply says, so where are the people who condemn you? Well, they're nowhere to be found. Well, then neither do I condemn you. Go on and stop sinning. Right? Could you imagine the, the weight that was lifted up from her, thinking that her very last moments were probably at stake? And Jesus is basically just like, hey, I don't condemn you. I forgive you. Mercy. I care for your soul. I know that, the, I know that your story is not ending right here. I know that God's not done with you at this moment. So even though you might get caught up in this mess that you're in right now, I know this is not the end of your story. I'm not going to look at you and say where you are now is where you're going to end. I'm going to look at you now and say where you are now doesn't determine where you're going to be next week or next month or next year or next decade. So instead of casting judgment and condemning you with the rest of them, I believe that from this moment on, you can go on free and not sin anymore. That was the heart of Jesus in that moment, right? So let me tell on myself, man, because I do it all the time. I'm good at telling on myself. You guys like hearing my mess anyways. I know you do. So when I was in high school, man, um, and Drew Haverly reminded me the other day, 14 years ago. Thank you, Drew. Long time ago, over a decade. So when I was in high school, man, um, I said I wasn't going to go into a whole lot of my mess, all right, because we can be here all day. But I broke the ultimate bro code. Okay, ultimate bro code. When I was in high school, I got caught up in this entanglement with my best friend's girlfriend, right? Thank you, Jada. Yes, entanglement, right? And so in this entanglement, man, um, after this moment, I tried to, like, suppress it, tried to pretend that it didn't happen, and basically just tried to move on forward with life and try to keep that moment that mistake behind me but we all know what happens in the dark comes to the light can't do nothing about it right so my homie finds out I don't know he knows but he knows and so he's like well I'm gonna give him a moment to see if he'll confess as my boy if he's my boy he'll come forward so the summer goes on I ain't saying nothing I'm like, shoot, man, I hope you don't find out, bro. I'm just going to pretend that never happened, man. Uh, man, pray to keep me safe. I don't want to get beat up. He like 5'11", 205. I'm like 180. I ain't trying to get jumped, all right? So I'm just hoping he doesn't find out. Well, he finds out, and what was odd is as the summer started to progress, our relationship started to get a little weird, but I didn't know why because I'm pretending. I'm like, he don't know. He don't know. But I remember one time we're at a, a shop that one of our friends owns, friend's family owns. This is a clothing shop. shop. And we're just joking around. We used to slap box all the time. Slap box got real serious that time. Real serious. I was like, whoa, I thought we were just playing. Next thing you know, we're throwing each other into clothing racks. Stuff's falling over. And I'm like, bro, are we really fighting right now? What's going on? But I didn't know that he knew. And he had all this anger, all this resentment, all this bitterness, all this hatred growing in his heart. Right? So one night... He calls me over and says, hey, bro, you trying to come over and play some Madden? I was like, bet, I'm going to get this dub. I'll see you in a minute, right? Drive over to his house. We start playing Madden. In the middle of the game, this dude puts it on pause, puts his controller down. He's like, hey, 
So I want you to know I heard about you and so-and-so. My heart must have been way down here, <laughs> way, way down here. I was like, okay, I'm about to get jumped in this dude's room, probably suffocated by this pillow. It's over for me. It's a done deal. It's a wrap. Sayonara. I'm going to see y'all later. Matt Lynch, Tombstone said 2007, right? That's what I'm thinking. And so what's crazy is he starts to share a little bit. He's like, I wanted to give you a moment as a friend to come forward and just confess what you had done. And I thought that us being boys since birth, because literally our parents were friends. We grew up months apart from each other in age. He said, I, I, I wanted to give you a moment, man, to confess. And, and as the summer progressed, I found myself getting more and more angry, not just at the fact that it happened, but at the fact that you wouldn't come clean about it. And then I got to this point where I literally wanted to choke you out. I did really want to beat you up, and I wanted to end this friendship. But God would not let me progress forward without reconciling our friendship. And so now I'm sitting there really feeling stupid. I'm like, what is going on? He said, I'm losing sleep at night because I can't forgive you. I'm wrestling trying to have peace because I'm holding on to my anger and my bitterness at the foolishness that you did. But I want you to know right now that as your boy, even though I know, I forgive you. And I'm willing to let it go, and I'm willing to move forward. I'm willing to reconcile as your boy because we've been boys for 18 years that I don't want this to sabotage what the next decade or two decades looks like in our life. And I'm sitting there like a burnt biscuit, right? Just like I cannot believe this dude is actually forgiving me, right? And probably not as severe as the woman, but just like in that moment, I feel this weight lifted off like, bro, like you care for me and our friendship to the degree that you're going to forgive something that I did like that? I don't even know if I could do that. Let's be real. And to this day, because he chose to lead with love in our friendship, it has shaped the way that I view all my relationships and the way that I go forward in building relationships with other people. It has been a staple. It's one of the most humbling moments, but one of the most shaping moments that I've ever experienced, that my friend would care for us and our friendship so much that he would forgive such an offense as deep as that. It don't happen all the time. That's a real one, right? I was boo-boo the full big mistake. And so you might be asking, okay, where are we going with this, bro? You just threw all your business out there in the street, right? Where, where are we going? In this series that we're talking about full circle, prayer, care, share, and giving this outline of how we can evangelize and how we can reach people by first praying for them and then tangibly caring for them. This is what I think God wants us to know. If we're really going to reach people, if we're really going to love our family members, love our community, and really share the good news of Christ, this is what I think God wants us to know. That if we are going to care for people like Jesus, we must 1,000% believe that Jesus can change them. If we are going to love people and going to care for them like Jesus did, we have to 1,000% look at somebody and be able to believe God's not done. God can change you. Do we really believe 
in the heaviness of our heart, in, the, in those dark places, that there's forgiveness and hope for the adulterer. We got friends. We got family members. We've been victims of it. But do we believe that there's forgiveness and hope for the adulterer? Do we believe that there's forgiveness and hope for the drug abuser, the alcoholic, the drug dealer? Do we look at them and say, your story is not done. There's forgiveness and hope for you. What about the rebellious teenager? Some of y'all got them in your house right now. <laughs> Do we care for them and approach that relationship in a way that says, I believe 1,000% that God can change you. And it leads me to a place where I'm going to care for you and I'm going to foster this relationship without throwing more and more and more and more weight and guilt and weight and guilt and shame and shame. But I'm going to care for you and love you because I believe your story's not done. What about for the atheist at work? What about for the so you fill in the blank? All right, the, the list goes on. And if we believe this, this is also what I think. This is the charge. If we believe this, then I believe we must move from tolerating people to caring for people, okay? Move from tolerating to caring. And here's what I mean. Instead of giving the homeless person a loaf of bread or whatever, what if we engage in an authentic conversation with that person? What if we got out of that car and just hung out with them? How you doing? Just engage in conversation. Move from tolerating to caring. What if instead of smiling and waving at our neighbors as we rush into the house, like, bro, don't talk to me, bro, I'm trying to get in. I know we do it. I know we do it. People do it to me. I'm like, bro, I'm just trying to say hi. What's up? Right? What if instead of rushing inside the house when we get out of the car, what if we actually engage in conversation with our neighbors? They might be living wild. They might be the one that's bringing all that weird aroma into the backyard of our house, and we're like, what the heck are they doing out there all the time, man? Right? They might be that neighbor. But what if we actually engaged in conversation with them? How are you doing? What if we baked some cookies for them? What if we invited them to our house and watched the NBA playoffs? What if we found ways to authentically care for those that might be hard to care for? But we can only do that if we 1,000% believe that God can change them. Right? And so what about, you know, um, telling I'm not... What about, let me just throw this out here, okay? Don't raise your hand, don't point nobody. But what about your kids who have friends and their family is a little bit off the deep end? You know, you know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to be mean out here. But you have your friend, you have your kids and they have friends and you're like, I don't know you can stay night at that house. I don't know if I can let you go over there. You know what I'm saying? I had those friends, right? But what if instead of us creating a wedge between our kids, friends, and their families, what if we cared for that family, brought them in the fold, and say, dinner and a game night at our house, let's get it on. Invite them. Invite Day-Day, Ray-Day, Boo-Boo, all them. I want them at my house, right? That's what Jesus did when he saw Zacchaeus. Party at your house. Let's get it on. What? Zacchaeus' house? You got to be kidding, Right? But what if we move from a place where instead of just tolerating people, hi, bye, hee, <laughs> moving on, what if we engaged and really started caring for people? And so some of us are thinking, like, oh, that sounds good. 
That's cool. That's a, that's, a, that's a good word, man. But in the back of your mind, you're also thinking, bruh, you don't know my neighbor. You, you don't know my ex-husband, ex-wife. You don't know my brother who's in and out of jail all the time. You don't know my fill in the blank. And we start to, without even verbalizing it, in our hearts, we really begin to doubt that some people in our lives will see the salvation of the Lord. But I want to give us two scriptures real quick. And these scriptures keep me encouraged, and I hope they keep you guys encouraged as well. So the first one is in Ephesians 3.20. It's going to be on the screen. You don't have to worry about turning to it. But Ephesians 3.20, Paul is writing, he says this, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask. Able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And let's turn to another one. First uh, Timothy chapter 1. And it says this. And Paul's writing again. He's writing to a young man named Timothy. And Paul's saying, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, an adulterer, a blank, a blank, a blank, a blank, a blank. Even though I was formerly this, I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And I'm the worst. Right? I'm the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them all, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. So I say again, if we're going to care for people like Jesus, we must 1,000% believe that God can change them. Because Paul was a hot mess, and God changed his life. A few summers ago, uh, my friend Daniel Rage and I, uh, we started implementing this cause circle idea before I even knew what the cause circle was, right? We just simply had a burden for some of our friends and family members. So one summer, we got together and we said, hey, here's the deal, man. Let's pray for our friends, our childhood friends. Let's find ways to engage with them. Invite them to eat, and we'll pay for it right? Uh, let's uh, just uh, go play basketball with him. We're just finding ways to get involved in these friends' lives of ours that didn't know Jesus. And then let's just pray for opportunity to share our faith. We won't lead with, hey, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, the Bible says this, the Bible says that. But let's just pray, let's care, and engage, and let's wait for an opportunity to share our faith. In that summer, we had four friends come to know Jesus. I, I'm not, I, and actually, I think it was more than four, to be honest with you, I feel like it was like six or seven, but there was only four that I could actually remember because this was like, this was a couple years ago. But I know for a fact four people, and I'm not talking about just like uh, decent people, uh, oh, all of a sudden, yeah, they, I'm talking about these were all four of them substance abusers, addicted to morphine, addicted to cocaine. One of them in particular never went to church his entire life, Okay. He went to youth group maybe two or three times to scam on girls. That's it, right? 
That, that's all he went. He didn't grow up in a church family. So what's crazy is I'm going to show a picture of him. This is my friend Roy. And I actually got to talk to Roy last week because I never heard his full testimony. Right? I just remember that summer when Daniel and I were praying for him, and then I remember his conversion, and then I remember from there he actually went on a mission trip to Belize, right? And then when he went to Belize, he was just falling in love with loving on these orphans to the point where when he came back, he said, I need to move to Belize. Went, spent a year, no, I think three years in Belize with his wife. Okay, They're starting out marriage as missionaries. Figure that one out right? Trying to figure out how to love on each other, love on orphans, build houses, build structures, all kinds of stuff, right? And this was Roy, right? I could have found some other pictures, but I ain't going to do that to him, okay? But it's crazy to see the transformation that took place because what happens, we were praying for him, and then one day, Daniel Rage was uh, driving by, and he saw Roy sitting in his car. Oh, snap, there's Roy. We've been praying for him, right? Knocks on his window, Hey, can I sit down? Yeah, let's sit down, okay? They're sitting down, they're talking, and uh, Daniel's like, hey, so what's going on, Roy? Uh, nothing, talking, da da da. And that's, you know, there's drugs right in the middle of the center council, right? Or the center, center divider. And Daniel goes, hey, what's this? And Roy goes, that's actually what I'm trying to run away from. Because Roy was in this situation where he was trying to break free, but he couldn't. He was slave to these addictions. And Daniel was like, oh, so that's the devil. And Roy, he doesn't go to church. He's like, yeah, sure, weirdo. Yeah, the devil. Call it that, right? And so Daniel goes, let's do this. I'm going to take these, okay, and I'm going to give you this CD. And he gave him this CD by Jesus Culture. Some of you guys know, that, know Jesus Culture. And Roy said that when he listened to that CD, the first song, he was like, I don't know what's going on, okay? He never listened to worship music before. But by the time he got through like the fourth or fifth song, he said he felt this rush of God's love just by listening to the, to the, to the words that he wanted to give his life to Christ right there in his car. And then, like I said, now Roy, I'll show you another picture. Now Roy's been walking with God for like six or seven years. He has a beautiful family. These are two Belize kids that him and his wife adopted, and now they're happily married. They're loving on kids, and Roy, is still, it's still unbelievable to my eyes what God has done in his life because he was the one that people were like, ain't no hope, ain't no way. Him? Nah, bro, can't happen. And to see God miraculously change his life. So I think about what I started with and when I was 14 and having Pastor Doug come and just care for me and engage in relationship with me during my teenage years when I was lost and I was doing all kinds of stuff and I was deceived. I think about my good friend Stacy and how he cared for me and how he showed mercy to me. And those were huge moments of my life where the body of Christ gave me a real picture of God's heart, a real authentic picture of God's forgiveness and his mercy and how he cares for us. And those have stuck with me forever. And each of us have an opportunity to be that illustration for someone. With all the people we interact with on a day-to-day basis, we have an opportunity to be that illustration for our lost sibling, for our neighbor, right, for our rebellious teenager, for our ex-husband, our ex-wife, the fill in the blank. We have an opportunity. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to I take this time just to know that if you've never been cared on, 
or cared for, there is a God in heaven who cares for you with everything, so much so that he died on the cross to show how much he cares for mankind, that we would not have to be left broken and left alone, but that we can be in relationship with him and be restored and be forgiven and be filled up with his love. And I don't want you to run or wrestle with that opportunity, but I want you to know that it is real and it is an opportunity for each of us to engage in that relationship with Jesus. So one second. So over the last couple of weeks of this series, we've been bringing out this chair, right? And this chair symbolizes who are we praying for? Who do we visualize sitting in this chair or sitting next to you in this pew one day that might not have a relationship with Jesus right now? Right? Who could it be? Last week we talked about just praying for that person. And now this week we're talking about caring for that person. Right? So I want to give you some practical ways that this week you might be able to care for the people that you want to see sitting in this chair, in this chair figuratively. You know what I'm trying to say. Right? For some of us, it might start with just a phone call. There's somebody that we've been praying for we haven't talked to in a while, and we need to just call them. Right? It could be FaceTime if you're you know, comfortable with that, a little bit you know, deeper level of connection. It could be an invitation to your house. Like, hey, you know what, man, we haven't hung out in a while, da 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 or maybe we've never hung out. Why don't you come to my house? Could be that. Or it could be a just-because gift card. Hey, man, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. Here's $200. Go eat here. You can give that one to me. I'll take that one. All right? But you know what I'm saying. Give them a gift card somewhere, right? Or it could be yard work. I will take that one too, right? Sign me up for that one. Maybe go do someone's yard this week. But hey, man, let me come mow your lawn for free. Let me come do that for you. Maybe, let, me, let me wash your car just because, right? And maybe, maybe, maybe you can plan a day. Maybe you have small kids and say, hey, let's plan, a, let's plan a date for our kids to go to the park, and you and I will just chill at the park and talk while our kids play, right? All of those are opportunities and ways that we can care for people in our circle tangibly that might open up an opportunity for us to share a message that could change their life forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for giving us examples on how to love, how to live, and how to be light. I pray, Jesus, that you would increase our faith. It is a miracle that we are saved. And why, God, would we think that the person next to us is unredeemable? I pray, God, that there would be an urgency that rises inside of us to pray, to care, and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us ideas and ways, God, to love on people authentically. I thank you so much, God, for this gathering, for this people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.